coming up this evening, live from New York City. Twitter reportedly giving in to Elon Musk, agreeing to give him the internal data he wants so he can figure out how many fake users are on the platform. European Union lawmakers vote to ban all new gas-powered cars by 2035. Is it a done deal? Amazon fighting phony listings, saying its new and improved vetting process is working. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Chenny Wu here for NTD Business. Big news on the Musk Twitter deal. According to the Washington Post, Twitter could be giving Elon Musk an enormous chunk of their data. This chunk of data is being called the fire hose. It's essentially an archive of all tweets on the platform. The archive also shows information such as the devices tweets are sent from, as well as information about the accounts that tweeted it. Musk's legal team says this data is essential for understanding the amount of spam and bot activity on the platform. Musk could analyze this data to find previously undetected information. According to top executives, Twitter is also anticipating a shareholder vote on the deal. It could come by early August. Citibank is looking for tech talent. It says it wants to hire more than 4,000 tech workers. They'll help move Citi's institutional clients online after the pandemic caused a digital explosion. Citigroup told Bloomberg more than a quarter of those recruits will join the market's technology team. The head of that department said Citi is trying to digitalize as much of the client experience as possible. He said firms that can digitalize the fastest will create competitive advantage. Citi's not the only bank trying to modernize its tech. Banks in general are trying to upgrade their platforms to offer remote services for both clients and workers. Besides banks, know who else is on a hiring spree? Major airlines. They're planning to hire the most pilots ever in a single year. But there just aren't enough pilots to go around. So what happens next? NTD's Phil Zoe has the story. Summer is around the corner. That means air travel is back. Um, as an airline employee, I can fly standby. And it's gotten to the point where I can't even fly standby anymore because all the flights are full. Airlines are expecting 10% more passengers this summer compared to the last one. But there's a problem. Uh, one of the things that you're seeing right now is mass retirements at the airlines. Over the next nine years or so, you're looking at approximately a 50% reduction in the, in the pilot workforce of the major airlines. Josh Yoder is co-founder of U.S. Freedom Flyers. He's also a commercial pilot at a major airline. I think one of the things you're going to see is a, is a drop in the frequency of service, especially to smaller places, you know, um, out, outlying airports. Um, you know, where you may have had three or four flights a day, it may go down to one or two. 30 airports across U.S. cities have already lost more than half their departure times compared to before the pandemic. Um, you're going to see skyrocketing ticket prices, which we're already seeing. And that has to do with a couple of things. It has to do with fuel prices, which are obviously adding to the expense of the flight. Um, and then and then obviously demand as well. As demand goes up and flights are full, you're going to see a, a massive rise in, in ticket prices, I believe. We've already seen you know increases of upwards of 30%. Major airlines are trying to hire 10,000 pilots this year alone, making it the busiest hiring year yet. Phil Zoe, NTD News. Fashion giant Inditex, the owner of Zara, reported an 80% jump in quarterly profits on the back of soaring sales as consumers revamp their wardrobes following pandemic lockdowns. The company said on Wednesday it made a net profit of $812 million for the quarter ending in April.
Sales rose 36% to $7.2 billion, surpassing pre-pandemic levels. While its gross margin hit a 10-year high, Inditex shares rose as much as 5% in morning trading. Despite a cost-of-living crisis squeezing margins at other retailers, Zara has benefited from successfully passing on higher prices to shoppers. The company's CEO says while keeping its clothes affordable, Zara will continue to increase prices in markets affected by inflation during the second quarter. Stocks ended lower today. The Dow fell 269 points, or eight-tenths of a percent. The S&P lost 45 points, or one and one-tenth of a percent. And the Nasdaq dropped 89 points, or seven-tenths of a percent. Meanwhile, oil prices keep rising. The international benchmark Brent topped 123 a barrel and hit a 13-week high. You could be paying for Social Security with up to 12% of your income. Even if you aren't happy about it, at least you'll be able to retire with a few dollars to your name. Also, if you have an accident, you could be covered. That's how it's worked up until now anyway. But now the money is set to run out within 10 years, according to AMAC Action. So if you pay in, will you get anything in return? This past weekend, NTD's Paul Graney spoke with the president of AMAC Action. It's an advocacy group for older Americans. Here's their conversation. We're here at the Western Conservative Summit in Denver, Colorado. It's great for all of you to join us. We're joined now by Bob Carlstrom. He's the president of AMAC Action. Is the advocacy affiliate of the Association of Mature American Citizens, which represents Americans over 50 years of age. Bob, great to see you. Thanks for coming. It's good to be with you. You're in Washington, D.C. What exactly is happening there to help older Americans? Well, I think one thing that's not happening is that this Congress is not seriously dealing with Social Security. Social Security insolvency will occur in about 2032. And what that means is that it's going to switch to a cash basis, money in, money out, because the money that's been in the principal is now declining. The interest uh, that was in there is now gone. You had a federal government that borrowed $3.1 trillion from the Social Security Trust Fund and offered you Treasury notes, IOUs, you know, which exacts no confidence that it'll ever be repaid. Was this and, both parties who agreed me? to this? I think what's happened in, in Washington, many people are afraid to bring it up because they don't want to be accused once again of throwing grandma off the cliff. But we have to deal with it. And AMAC has recommended what's called the Social Security Guarantee, which makes some smart adjustments in the basic statute, assures a cost of living adjustment increase to all beneficiaries, but particularly weighted a bit more to those who need it the most. And we don't raise the retirement age. We still keep that at 62. But Congress really needs to develop the courage in both parties to take it on. How likely are your changes to be implemented? And what do you say to Americans who are worried they may not be and things won't be fixed? Well, uh, you know, as, as long as the impasse... Uh, continues, we've got a problem. It is my hope that we will have more courageous leadership and new leadership in the Congress, you know, in, in the next Congress. And right now, people are afraid of it politically because they're trying to, again, 
they say the, those that want to change it, you're going to throw grandma off the cliff unless you increase taxes to fund Social Security. Well, that's nonsense. You've got to look at, at the whole law and see what needs to be fixed, what can be fixed, before you begin to impose additional taxes on the American people and American business. Is there specific age groups who are going to really get burned here, considering how much they may yes. put in? Yes. In fact, you know, it, for me, you know, I'm, I'm 74 years old, so it's too late for me. But for your generation and younger generations, they're all going to be hurt by this unless Congress deals with it in a good and resolute way. And they also need to take it off budget and put it back almost in the escrow account for which it was intended. And Congress needs to repay the $3.1 trillion plus dollars that they've taken out of it and spent for other purposes. And so, you know, these are the things that need to happen. It's going to require courage in the Congress, and it's going to require some courage in a presidency. Bob Carlstrom, AMAC Action. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good to be with you. Retail giant Amazon says it's seeing success in its war against counterfeits. In a new report today, it said it implemented a program last year to make it harder for people to create fake accounts. Potential sellers now have to talk one-on-one -on -one with an Amazon team member before they can sell. Amazon says because of this, the number of people trying to create fake accounts dropped by 58% last year compared to the year before. In addition to its improved vetting system, Amazon says it blocked 4 billion phony listings from being posted last year. That's down 60% from the year before. And it scrubbed 3 million fake products from its site. But Amazon didn't say where most of the counterfeit products came from. A new report says short video app TikTok is being used to spread disinformation in Kenya as the nation prepares for elections in August. The report is from the Mozilla Foundation, a tech nonprofit. A researcher there examined 130 popular videos, which he said contained hate speech, disinformation, or incitements of violence against ethnic communities. These videos have more than 4 million views. The study says some of the videos had a lot more views than the accounts had followers, suggesting TikTok's algorithm was promoting them. The researcher also interviewed former content moderators at TikTok. One of them said that moderators don't always have the language skills or background to understand the videos or their context. TikTok has a policy against such content and removed several of the posts on June 7th. TikTok is owned by a Chinese company called ByteDance. That's raised concerns about national security. The Trump administration tried to ban it. A Chinese social media influencer and salesman is facing a career nightmare, all because he promoted a certain ice cream dessert. Some suggest the issue is linked to a sensitive anniversary date in China, the June 4th Tiananmen Massacre. NTD's colleague Fredrickson has the story. Influencer Li Jiaqi's sales record once topped $600 million in a single day. But over the weekend, his sky-high numbers plunged to zero. Li is a Chinese celebrity and social media personality known for live stream sales. Oh my gosh. Meaning he advertises and sells products through social media channels for a living. To get a sense of scale for his success, on China's Singles Day shopping extravaganza in 2020, his live stream sales topped $600 million. But last Friday, his live stream was suddenly cut off 
after he displayed a unique ice cream bar designed in the shape of a tank. This incident struck on June 3rd, the eve of the 33rd anniversary of the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre. That's when the Chinese military opened fire on student protesters who had gathered to ask for democracy and uncensored education. Some are speculating that the shape of the ice cream bar is what caused the problem and drove Chinese internet censors to take action. One 1989 protester, now famously known as the Tank Man, confronted a tank during the incident. This image is now widely considered the symbol of the pro-democracy protest. For decades, information about the massive demonstration has been banned across China, fearful of retaliation from the Communist Party. Older generations in the country often avoid talking about it, so it's been fading from the minds of the younger generations. Lee, like most of his fans, are part of a later generation, so it's unlikely they're familiar with the details. Because of it, some see Lee's ice cream bar incident as one born out of ignorance. Curiously, Beijing's apparent censorship of his live stream has had the opposite effect. Media reports say it sparked younger people to ask older family members about what happened during the 1989 protests. Lee's team explained away the live stream cutoff as due to a technical malfunction. Another of Lee's scheduled streams also didn't air the Sunday afterward. Lee's agency didn't respond to a request for comment before airtime. Shanghai may be out of lockdown, but it seems residents' lives will not return to normal. A slew of virus restrictions are still in place. NTD's Don Ma has a story. The biggest headache for Shanghai residents is that authorities have made mandatory COVID tests a new normal and a permanent part of people's lives. The basic requirement now is doing a PCR test one day and a rapid antigen test another. There is a new saying that we are all living by PCR tests now. If you want to go to some indoor premises, you have to do the tests. Anyone who wants to use public transit or go to malls or parks needs to have proof of a negative PCR test within 72 hours. It's a big hassle for those who need to take the train or bus to work. They would have to take three tests each week. And adding to the inconvenience is that the lines are often very long. Yesterday when I went to work, there was a spot with not many people, but there are long lines at most of the spots. Someone complained that they had to wait for hours yesterday. Complaints flooded in on Chinese social media. It seems many Shanghai residents are against normalized virus testing. Some report waiting hours just to get tested and dozens more for the results to come out. One Shanghai local says doing tests so frequently is torture. Every day I have to make sure my nucleic acid results haven't expired. I can't work well because I have to check during the middle of my shift and the testing conflicts with working hours. It's too inconvenient. The issue became significant enough that a Shanghai official had to apologize to the people. He said that Shanghai will make testing more convenient. However, he didn't say that Shanghai will drop permanent virus testing altogether. Don Ma, NTD News. How would you feel if you could no longer buy a new car that runs on gasoline? That could be a reality in Europe. Today, members of the European Parliament voted in favor of a total ban on the sale of new vehicles that run on fuel by 2035. 
The vote was in support of a proposal made by the European Commission last year. The proposal requires an 100% reduction in CO2 emissions from new cars by 2035. That would make it impossible to sell fossil fuel-powered vehicles in the EU from that date. During the vote, some lawmakers tried to weaken the target to a 90% reduction of CO2, but that was rejected. The law is not yet final, though the vote does confirm the parliament's position for upcoming talks with EU countries on the final law. The German chancellor Wednesday said that he's committed to phasing out nuclear power, even though there are concerns about rising energy prices and possible future shortages due to the war in Ukraine. Germany shut down half of its six nuclear plants in December, and the remaining three are due to cease production at the end of this year. The shutdowns are part of the country's plan to phase out conventional power plants in favor of renewable energy. But to prevent possible electricity shortages, the government will not shut down coal-fired power plants for now, though the goal of phasing out coal by 2030 still remains in place. As the Biden administration pushes for a drastic energy transition, proponents argue renewable energies like wind and solar are cheaper. But is that true? A recent study found if you look at all the cost factors, wind and solar are more expensive than conventional fuels. NTD's Jessica Beatty explains. As the world rushes to drop fossil fuels and transition to renewable energy like wind and solar, three researchers say not so fast. They say you can't just look at emissions, you have to look at the entire value chain. Their recent study found that it's actually more expensive to produce energy with wind and solar than with conventional fuels. The authors looked at several cost factors, including the cost of building, fuel, operating, transportation, storage, backup, emissions, recycling, space, equipment lifetime, and how many materials go into each system. They found that way more materials are needed for solar, hydropower, and wind compared to coal, natural gas, and nuclear. They also looked at another important concept, energy return on investment. The EROI ratio measures energy inputs compared to energy outputs. The authors, citing Ewan Mern's work, said modern life requires a minimum EROI ratio of 5 to 7. But they pointed out that most solar and many wind installations are lower than that and are not efficient enough to support society. Co-author Lars Chernikow is an energy economist and commodity trader. At a SAGE talk last month, he said, quote, If the world were today to go 100% wind, solar, and biomass, we would not be sitting here. There would not be enough energy. We'd go into energy starvation. And that's what you start to see now in the market. He doubted the current pathway to more wind and solar electricity is environmentally viable calling them, quote, the least energy efficient. We reached out to the Energy Department for comment, but didn't immediately hear back. The study concluded with suggestions for a revised energy policy, saying energy policy should not favor any of the energy sources, but should support all energy systems to avoid energy shortage or energy poverty. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Still to come, the head of the Walmart family agrees to buy the Denver Broncos for a record amount. A Spanish winery offering what it calls a unique maritime flavor, thanks to its aging process. That and more coming up on NTD Business.
another world record has been shattered. Billionaire Walmartaire Rob Walton, pictured here to my right, is buying the Denver Broncos for $4.65 billion. That's the highest price ever paid for an American sports team. Previously, the Carolina Panthers had the record when hedge fund billionaire David Tepper, pictured here, paid $2.3 billion to take it away from Jerry Richardson. And in addition to Rob Walton, his daughter and her husband are also taking a piece. The Denver Broncos will have some of the deepest pockets in the history of American football because the Walton family is estimated to be the richest family in America. By some estimates, you could even say the richest in the world. But the real question, once Walton owns the Denver Broncos, will ticket prices come down? If a football team isn't your thing, how about a rare Harry Potter book? A piece of the fictional wizard's history is now on sale. You don't need a magic wand, but you may need deep pockets. Christie's in London is selling a first edition of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. It's part of the auction house's Art of Literature loan and selling exhibition. The edition is one of 500 copies of the book initially printed back in 1997. Author J.K. Rowling signed the book, and it even includes errors that were fixed in later printings. Christie says it is receiving offers starting at around $250,000 for the edition. The private sale and auction is slated to run through July 15th. Over in Spain, a winery is aging its bottles from the bottom of the ocean. It says the rushing currents and other factors help them develop a unique maritime flavor. This story comes from NTD's Eddie Atkin. At the bottom of the sea off Spain's north coast, there's an unusual treasure trove. These cages are an underwater winery where bottles of wine are left to mature. It's the brainchild of entrepreneur Borja Saracho, who noticed that bottles of wine recovered from shipwrecks sold for high prices at auction. So in 2010, he began a research project to test if the ocean could change wine for the better. Experts were invited to sample bottles aged in the sea and compare them with the same vintages left to mature on land. Saraccio says the results were exciting. We saw that every three months when the experts come to Plentia, uh, they saw the same story. They prefer the sunken sample. In the nose, they were quite different in different uh, aromas, and in the mouth were really soft. So the softness was really high, and everybody was very surprised about the evolution of the different grapes. What started as a research project has now become a fully-fledged commercial venture called Crusoe Treasure. White wines are aged for about six months at sea, and red wines typically spend 12 to 15 months under the waves. Analysis by a wine research laboratory has shown they are chemically different to wines aged on land. Uh, you can think that we are crazy and all is a marketing, you know. But uh, after hundreds of or thousands of analytics, we have seen the, 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 the different evolution of the chemical components. Water flowing from a nearby river helps maintain temperatures around the cages at between 12 and 17 degrees Celsius. And crucially, the surrounding current is rough so clean water constantly washes over the bottles. The underwater cages are a treat for marine life too. The winery has become a haven for more than 100 species of flora and fauna over the years. Crusoe Treasure also offers tours to tourists. Today's red is Sire. It's a hit with this group. This is just absolutely unique. It, 
it's not sweet, but at the same time, it's not bitter. It's, it's difficult to explain. I, you have to try it to really know. The underwater winery currently holds over 5,000 bottles and can fit up to 25,000. Eddie Aitken, NTD News. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, send us an email at business at ntd.com. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Chenny Wu. You can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can follow me on Twitter, too. For NTD Business, that's all for today. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow.